One thing that has been just a huge aha and light bulb moment for me that my therapist has has taught me is that our feelings don't come from other people. They come from ourselves. Exactly. And that to me, I, you know, because even in, in relationships and in confrontation and when you're, you know, through my breakup or through a divorce, like, you know, you're back and forth and you're justifying and you're defending your point and you're trying to get your point across because you think that by saying those things and the other person understanding and validating it, it's going to make you feel better, but it actually doesn't. Yeah. Those feelings aren't coming from the other person. They're coming from you. So it's trying to understand again, that trigger, again, that feeling, where does that come from and how can I sit with that and, and process that myself to be okay? Because at the end of the day, nobody can do that for you. Welcome to the Joy of Being podcast, where we believe that true happiness is found in stripping down life's distractions and discovering how to live in the present. The journey to cultivating a present life is a constant pursuit influenced by how we choose to show up for ourselves in health, relationships, and careers. This space is dedicated to sharing our personal experiences and conversations with women whose stories inspire our journey. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Joy of Being podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Peralta, along with my co-host, Julia Shaland. Today, we are going to be talking all about relationships, just different aspects of what goes into a relationship, things that we feel are important. And we actually have a very special guest today, and that is Julia's mom, Libby Chad. And we are so excited. I know I am over the moon to have her on. Um, so welcome, Libby. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you, Julia. This is really exciting for me as well. Yeah. Mama Chad. Mama the Chad. OG is here, literally in the house. Like she's in California right now with me in Monterey. So it's really exciting to be recording another episode and to have my mom on the episode and also just physically here with me in California. So it's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. I love it. Well, I'm so excited and we are really just honored to have Libby on because I feel, and especially on this topic, because throughout our adult lives, I feel like Julia and I have leaned on Libby for her wisdom and she has so much knowledge and really just a profound perspective on relationships. And I feel like your advice is always so sound and grounded. And so I just am so excited to pick your brain and just hear all about what you have to share, all of your knowledge. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. (laughs) So let's go ahead and start by, I think this is just something that Julie and I like to do with everybody just to give context into who you are. um, And that is just telling us about your cultural upbringing. Well, okay. Um, I was born in Berkeley in 1955. I'm going to be 68 in September. Uh, I'm an artist. Uh, My ex-husband and I raised... Julia and her brother together. I'm the youngest of four children, the only girl. So I grew up in Northern California wearing my brother's hand-me-downs, really a tomboy, uh, preferred to spend my time outside 
or on the floor of my room with crayons and paper. Um, so I started drawing in earnest really at a pretty young age at around 12 um, and have been at it ever since. So that's a long time. And um, tell us about your, your parents. Well, hmm. my mother had been a professional singer during World War II in San Francisco. My father heard her singing on the ship to shore radio. He was in the Navy and fell in love with her voice and tracked her down in San Francisco. And they fell in love and got married. And then he shipped out and went through Pearl Harbor. My mother was a a riveter at the Oakland shipyard during World War II. Um, They lived through the Great Depression. They both came from large families. Um, Just, you know, a very dynamic, passionate duo. They were married for 56 years. And then my father passed away. And my mother survived him by about 10 years. And she passed away. Um, How do you think that they shaped you? Oh, boy. Well, my father was uh, an intellectual person. Uh, He was a sort of a frustrated writer, but he became a bureaucrat when he got out of the Navy because he they kept having children (laughs) and he had to support the family. So um, he was a creative person and my mother obviously was creative as well. And so they encouraged me to do my work and never really tried to pound me into a specific career path. And so in that way, I had a variety of different jobs growing up. Um, They instilled in me a, a pretty powerful work ethic. And they also told me that if a thing was worth doing, it was worth doing right. And so no matter what I did from planting trees to packing fruit or babysitting or whatever it was job wise, Um, I just always tried to apply myself and do my best. And it's interesting because I think that I brought that same ethos to raising my own kids, Julia and her brother. And um, yeah. I think it is interesting because I don't think I fully knew like all of your history and your parents and history and um, how you were brought up. So it is a lot of parallels in, in to how Julia is and her, um, belief system, work ethic, all of those things. So right, yeah, right. I love that. Um, yeah, and it, it didn't always make either one of the kids happy when they were kids, although Julia kind of came into the world uh, with a, you know, a, a scouring brush in one hand and, you know, a pencil and a notepad in the other. She's always been a really hard, hard worker and very obsessive about it, you know, getting things right. It's really important to her. So that's, that's been interesting to watch as she's become a woman. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you said your parents were married 56 years? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you had like a really good example of like a, a strong marriage. Well, I mean, it was strong, but it was also, you know, I think they came from a whole different generation of human beings. I mean, like you don't get divorced, even you if you're get upset divorced, you don't, or even I mean, if you're unhappy Our, you know, my mother and father's marriage was far from ideal. There were a lot of issues, you know, but uh, divorce just sort of never popped up as an option. And uh, isn't that so interesting too, though, because at grandma Fern's age, staying married was the option for her. And for me, yeah, the option for me, I was married and I had the option to leave as soon as I want to do whatever I want to do something else. When you determined that the marriage was the unfulfilled promise that it wasn't going to work. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, we've, we've evolved in the sense that if we make mistakes in relationships now, we have the opportunity to fix those mistakes. You know, we're not, um, marriage as a, as a construct is not like, you know, the empire state building. It's not some rigid iron thing. You know, if a marriage is not working or if it's not, fulfilling one or the other uh, partners, things can change and people can survive that. I think, you know, during the depression and everything and during World War II, people, their lives were sort of circumscribed by their circumstances. And marriage was one of the boxes that you checked as a human being, we don't live like that anymore, which I think is wonderful. I think it's very healthy, actually, that we don't. Right. And I love that point. And I think you being a really good perspective. I mean, you were born in 56 and you saw, you know, your parents. 55. Yeah. Oh, 55. Yeah. So, okay. So you were born in 55. You saw your parents' relationship, you know, from that time period. And then you right. know, obviously your own relationships and your own marriage and then now parenting your children in those relationships, how has that been to kind of see society's shift in the, I guess, value of marriage or, you know, the society, the societal norms of marriage? How has that been for you? And how has that shift in like parenting and supporting your children through those times changed? Or what has that experience been like? Well, you know, I was, I was really coming of age in the late sixties, early seventies in California, excuse me, which was a very, probably one of the most liberated places on the planet. And so people were having, they were in relationship And marriage wasn't necessarily a component of those relationships. So my generation, you know, there were a lot of communes. There were a lot of people who were living conjugally with, you know, dozens of other people. And they were fine with that. And so the whole notion of marriage was in great flux when I was a teenager and going into my 20s. Um, I did not get married until I was in my early thirties. Um, and the reason that I got married was that I had brought Ryan into the world with Michelle 
And I felt it was really important for Ryan to have his father's last name. So because Michelle was an, was the only child, the only man left standing in his family. So, you know, getting married was something that I did because of bringing kids into the world. Um, now, you know, I think watching what Julia has gone through and what her brother went through a number of years ago uh, in terms of, of marriages dissolving, I think that people deserve the opportunity to reset, you know, people make mistakes often in relationships. We, we think that we're getting one thing and we wind up with something different. And, uh, you know, I, uh, find it altogether healthy and beautiful actually that, uh, it's not really so much a do-over getting married and then having the marriage not last is not a failure. It just means that, you know, you've made the wrong choice and you have an opportunity to make a different choice. So that's what I think about that. <laughs> Did you answer the question? I'm not sure <laughs> if I answered the question. I The question was sort of, it, it was, it was, it was deep. It was a multi-layered question. So, you know, when <laughs> you're trying to talk about very deep things questions. Are, well, when you're trying to talk about things that are complicated, <laughs> no, it's I, not like checkbox A, checkbox sure. B. It's no, I thought it was a great answer. I just don't know if you <laughs> question. Brittany, did I answer your question, honey? <laughs> yes, I, I, sure. At <laughs> 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 this point, at this point, yeah, whatever. Nice. <laughs> Well, how does Julia feel about what she's gone through with her marriage and divorce? Yeah, it was. I was. How does kind of Julia like, feel about it? Because we've, as her mother, I've observed her and we've talked about it. But I think in the con this context of, mm -hmm. you're her best friend, and you know, you guys have had conversations also about it. What do you think, Julia? I mean, do you feel like you failed somewhere, or do you feel like? you just had an awakening like during the COVID period that that situation was not going to be enough for you. I mean, probably both. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think I realized that people, if you're doing life in the right way, you're changing and you're evolving and you're, you're not staying the same human being. And I think for a relationship to be successful, you have to be on a similar mindset that you both want to do things. Or at least in the same car. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You so can't I just, be married I think and driving you can't, well, you can't cars. be, yeah. you have to change together. Right. Um, yeah. Or you grow apart yeah. and you're either willing to do the things. Um, to make it better or you're not. And I think in every relationship, you know, your, your, your gut and your instincts will know. Yeah. So Brittany, I have, she's, she's the interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Something that I've been talking to Julia about Brittany 
that is sort of a uh, a metaphor I have for relationships that fail is what I call the unfulfilled promise. And I think it ties into the initial chemistry that brings people together. Very often as women, when we feel that kind of chemical attraction to someone, when we, when we get gobsmacked by someone, we invest in them a lot of expectation about how things will be. And then as you're living together or dating or, you know, getting engaged and then married, um, all of the things that you've sort of, you know, intellectually and emotionally attached to that person, they maybe are not really there or not really possible with that person. And I call that the unfulfilled promise because you get to a certain point in a relationship where you're like, I'm trying to make this something that it's never going to be. So why don't I stop trying to make something into something else, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, have you had that experience? Yes, absolutely. And I think I, I, I agree 100%. And I think the expectation part is the... Yeah. Huge. Yeah, that we mm -hmm. get so caught up in and it's so easy to do that. I mean, relationally in general, even with friendships, you know, or with family, you you do hold right. certain expectations of people. And I think the expectation piece is something that is to be explored at greater depth personally and, you know, how you were raised, right. you know, through therapy and things like that. But we don't consciously do those things, you know, because we've been raised a certain way or because we've experienced relationships in a certain way, we decide that I need this or I want that, or this is how I want this to go. And then those expectations get put on our partners and maybe you don't even communicate it, you know, but that's your expectation. Right. At some right. point we get lost in that and arrive at this place where it is a wake up call. And you think to yourself, wow, this is not working yeah. out how I thought right. it was going to. And I, am not fulfilled and I need to stop trying to stick a circle into a square hole. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I the agree. root of all heartache is expectation. Expectations. Julia and I have talked a lot about that over the last, I would say 10 years, maybe. Yeah, but it's so hard to not expect things. That's the problem as human beings. Well, sometimes to... expectations are, are offered. Some, and that's the unfulfilled promise, right? Sometimes people will express something to us that they want to do or they're going to do, and that doesn't happen. Other times, we're putting our expectations onto that person because of what we want, like Brittany just said, what you want, what you need. You think that by choosing this person or by having chemistry with them, that somehow magically, they're going to be able to rise and meet you, even if they really have no idea what it is you want them to do. You know, the expectations game is so huge. And sometimes we put it on ourselves. Like Julia is a perfectionist. She's really, you know, she challenges herself constantly. And so she just naturally 
expects the man in her life to be able to rise to that. And most men, generally, (laughs) unless you draw them a diagram, they have no idea, right, (laughs) how to get to where it is that you want them to be or you expect them to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you have to become too literal about it in relationship, then the chemistry goes poof, right? Because chemistry is by its nature, an unspoken alchemy, you know, it's like, okay, well, am I going to ruin this if I ask for what I really want? Right. And so most women don't even ask for it. Mm-hmm. They want it, they expect it. But when it doesn't come, they just go, oh, well, I guess I'm just not going to have that component in my marriage or in when my boyfriend or my lover, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, I agree. And I think the the expectation, another thing around expectation to consider is where those expectations are coming from. And maybe this is a little deeper and more about self-awareness, but a lot of the time Mm -hmm. expectations come from ego you know, so are the expectations that you have of your partner uh, actually about your partner and are they actually necessary or is it just something mm-hmm. that is feeding your ego and something that you think needs to happen? And it's, it can mm-hmm. be hard to have that mm-hmm. awareness, but I mean, not that we should not have standards because we all should, but I think being aware of, of where those expectations are coming from is super important also. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you said something too, Libby, about, you know, when you're first connecting with somebody and the expectations are learned or um, brought about by consistency and, you know, actions and things that people do. But I also think those are the main components that start the beginning stages of of trust in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that consistency, you're like learning somebody for the first time and you're watching their actions and you're, I think it's that consistency piece where you're like, okay, they, they're saying what they're, they're doing what they're saying, they're saying they're going to do, you know, the yeah. actions are behind the words. And mm-hmm. that's where the expectations kind of start to develop too, because if somebody shows you something, then you're like, okay, they're consistent. I can expect this from this person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but then maybe that expectation is built on just the courtship phase of a relationship. You know, I mean, men and women uh, do a lot of different behaviors for and with each other when they first meet. You know, there's a whole different set of um, behaviors that we do when we're courting. And often, you know, I mean, men are the roosters and women are the hens, right? If I could use the metaphor and, and, you know, men will fluff themselves up and they'll make themselves really fabulous for us in order to get our attention. And then, you know, it's a kind of, it's a kind of fishing expedition. What do I need to do to make this woman smile? What do I need to do? to give her the impression that I can do and be X, Y, and Z for her, you know, and it's women do the same thing, you know, women, when they're ready to date someone new or be in a different relationship or make themselves available for relationship, 
do the same thing. We do it a little differently. It's like the way we dress and our makeup and, you know, our, our physicality changes when we're in a courtship mode. And, you know, whether or not you can see that chemistry through to a durable relationship is, is always kind of a crapshoot, I think, you know. What was the question? Well, no, we were just talking <laughs> about expectations. Yeah. And Brittany was observing that when someone is doing what they say they're going to do, right, you're building trust with someone in relationship. But what I the point I was making is that sometimes it takes a while for all of that to become apparent, whether someone is actually just in a courtship position, you know, and do they behave differently when they're courting than when you're actually with them day in and day out or making a commitment to them for the long term. You get a different picture point I'm making. Yeah, I agree. And I think like you're saying, it's, it's that consistency. So even after the beginning of the relationship and the courting is right. then still showing me the same behaviors and actions Respect that- and, and compassion and communication, right? Are you getting all of that same, all those same goodies? Is it, is it durable? Is it authentic? Yeah. yeah, and I think that's where trust starts. And then this is my opinion, and maybe you girls can chime in here, but I think a lot of the time trust issues obviously arise because there's infidelity or a secret or something is withheld. But I think a lot of the times we kind of self-sabotage based off of our own insecurities too, and we go down these thought spirals and kind of project. Yes, yeah, yeah, the stories we tell. Yeah. Renee yeah. Brown said it, the yeah. story I'm telling myself. Yeah. And once you tell yourself one, one version of a bad story or a bad outcome, it is so much, I don't know why is it so much easier to just keep going down that spiral than to tell yourself a better story. We like to torture ourselves or maybe I do. Hmm. I don't know if that's everybody, but I, I spiral a lot. Thought spiral. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also uh, an issue of just, you know, being in the reality that you're in. Yes. You know, if a relationship is not working, that's the reality. And women, um, not every woman, but a lot of the women that I've known, um, they try to keep reality at at an arm's length so that they can get to that unfulfilled promise thing. I mean, it's like a Mobius strip, which is a loop that just kind of goes around and around and around, you know? And I think, you know, being, being in the now and being real with ourselves about what's really happening, um, as painful as that might be, right? I mean, it's sort of like sometimes it feels like you're losing a limb when a relationship comes apart. It's really unpleasant and painful. However, you know, life is about choices, right? 
And if you choose to stay in a place of unreality in terms of whether or not you're fulfilled in any of your relationships, then you're basically just postponing the inevitable. And, and, you know, better to, it's like if, if you get cut and you get, get a really bad infection, you're going to lose your leg. So better to just, you know, treat the cut, be real with it, (laughs) go on and do something different, you know? Totally. I mean, and, and both of you, I mean, I'm more than twice your ages. And so both of you still have so many, so many amazing chapters left to write in your respective books, you know, and I've always told both of my kids, life, if you are lucky, is not a short story. It's a chapter book. It's like a big book with highs and lows and lots of different people and experiences. And, you know, between men and women, it's important that we not put on concrete shoes in those relationships and feel like we have nothing else. We have no, there are no options, you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. I love that your point about living in reality. I read something the other day and I mean, and also to go back to what Julia said, like I don't think that she's torturing herself with these thought spirals and something I read the other day, it just made so much sense and kind of clicked for me, but it said, oftentimes we, try to reference the past to comprehend or justify or construct our present Mm -hmm. instead of deciding to reference the future and being the optimist, you know, and allowing Mm -hmm. movement forward. We just use our experiences in the past to justify what's going on now. And I think that's that thought spiral piece. Um, Yeah. And that's the concrete shoes part. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Jay. No, I'm, I'm processing, but it's all, it's all very true. Yeah. Because when you stop and think about it, I'm like, wow, let me try and be conscious to how many times a day I'm justifying something with a past experience Yes, or trying to make it like trying to make it make sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's called equivocating, you know, and, and being, you know, um, it's like making misery sort of a ubiquitous place where <laughs> you spend most of your time. But it's it's crazy too how well it's not crazy. It's it's a powerful tool to think that it's ours to change. It's it's a mindset shift about how you choose to show up for yourself, the expectations that you drop. Like letting go of expectations is an completely liberating experience. I haven't been fortunate enough to know what that feels like. <laughs> Julia's moving in that direction. I'm moving in the she's direction. Not there yet. But, but I, I'm telling there. you, there have been moments in my life in the last six months where if the same thing happened to me a year ago or two years ago, I would have completely broken down. And I've handled things much differently recently because I'm I'm being more conscious, like Brittany said, of my control in everything, in the outlook, the attitude, the choice, the choice, the yeah. belief, all of it is mine. And I've had really amazing moments where I've taken that power for myself and I've owned it and it's felt great. And I've been in an extremely liberating sense of, of space. 
Right. Well, and you're but in it, a it's not an easy place. You're in Big Sur, and you can look out and see the vastness of the ocean in one view, and turn around and see the dense mysticism of the forest on the other. Yeah, and magical. I told Julia, you know, there we land in places in the course of our lives for a reason. You know, I'm a, I'm a very firm and dedicated follower of destiny. And of all of the experiences I've had, the ones that have been the most painful and the most challenging have taught me the biggest lessons and put me on a footing to write new chapters in my own book, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it's really an important process. It's not, it's not a one and done story being in reality. Being in reality is really almost a moment to moment, hour to hour process. It's like committing to yoga or meditation or running, you know, um, feeling positive about where you are and what you have to offer the world. And then, your intimate relationships in general is process. It's every day. It's every day. And every day is a new day and a new opportunity to do it all better and more clear eyed. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think a big part of that and something that I think Julia and I have both been discovering about ourselves is that self-awareness piece, because that's, you know, living unconsciously, obviously you're never going to make, you're never going to have any kind of growth, but also like we were just talking about in, in terms of changing our mindsets, mm-hmm. having boundary, having boundaries, not only with mm-hmm. other people, but with yourself, you know, and not right. allowing yourself to go down those thought spirals and, you know, having, if you say you're going to do something for your health or your well-being, sticking to that and having that boundary with yourself and not letting yourself right stray away right. from that. And I think that translates, if you can do that for yourself, that translates really well into relationships with your partner. Yeah, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. absolutely right, Britt. This is, yeah, it's the work on yourself and preparing yourself. I mean, you can't, be prepared to enjoy or love anybody until you can enjoy and love just hanging out by yourself. Yeah. I've been hanging out by myself quite a bit in the last two years and it's a, it's a bitch. Well, you know, there've been a lot of songs written about the, the dynamism of, of men and women. Right. I mean, we listen to those songs all the time. And even if you go back to like the Benny Goodman era, which is when my mother was a professional singer, all the songs were like, you know, you'll never know how much I love you. You know, I mean, the the notion of love and relationship and connectedness and and partnership, you know, I think we all, goes all the way long back. for partnership and it goes back to the Neanderthals, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, we've been doing this dance with each other as men and women and as women and women and men and men, right? Relationships and a sense of belonging. Like Julia and I this morning, her apartment's right across the street from a church. And we were watching all of these people arriving at church. 
and being met at the door, the open doors with the programs for the day. And, and we were just observing how happy all of these people were to have this place to be, this place to go, a sense of community, a sense of tribe, of belonging, and that someone has their back and just how important that is. And when you draw that down to the one-on-one between men and women, it's really crucial, you know? We, we need each other, but we need each other in ways that are honest and reality-based and not, you know, fantasy or unfulfilled promise or ego territory. And it's not an easy thing to find in life, but we always keep looking. We're always looking for it. You know, it's what our heart holds the most dear is the notion of love. That's what we're here to do. We're here love. to love. Sweet love. <laughs> it's the yeah. only thing that but there's it, yep. just too little of. Makes the world go round. And I think, <laughs> you know, it's like you said, it's something where, we're always after, you know, it's what we think will most fulfill us in life. And and in a way, I think it does because innately we all want that connection. But it's interesting now that I have started healing and doing more self-development, how much more I know about myself and how much um, more perspective I have on just the things that I want and how I can be better and how I can now not pour from a half empty cup or pour from an unconscious cup, you know, like right, yeah. right, right, right. operating automatically. And so often like finding love is one thing, but I think keeping that love and, and nourishing it and, you know, being nimble in love is super important because we're all changing, you know, and, and right. hopefully you get to change together, but that process isn't always, um, free of bumps and potholes. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh <laughs> and boy, all of oh boy. road yeah. closures. Yeah. Road closures, <laughs> yeah. landslides, yeah. avalanches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think doing the work on yourself is where it starts and, and that's the hard part. And like Julia was saying, like being by yourself and not that you have to be by yourself in order to do that, but I think it's so important to know yourself and we talk about, you know, these long-standing marriages and when people get married younger or prematurely, it's really hard to know yourself outside of a relationship. And so I think if you can take the time to find those things out about yourself and, you know, what your expectations are, what your boundaries are, um, it just, I think, opens a door for a much more fulfilling and opened, open and honest partnership. Yes. Right. And I was going to get into how I think critically important finding a good therapist is for mental sanity, especially living in this current uh, day and age. There's just so much going on and finding like professional help. I still haven't found a therapist, but I know it's on my to-do list because that kind of growth and that kind of um, accountability to get you to know yourself better is so crucial well and also also you know come to terms with your motivations right like what is it that prompts us to do certain things in relationship 
right? What are the triggers that get pulled in relationship? Do we understand them? Do we know where they came from? You know, um, I know that when I first started dating Chewy, um, he he would like look at me a certain way or say something to me and I would flip out on him <laughs> and he, he'd just look at me and he'd go, what's wrong? <laughs> and I would say, you just pulled my trigger. You just did. You just said this thing in a way that reminded me of a very hurtful aspect of my former marriage, my, my relationship with my the father of my children would do certain things and it would trigger me. It would hurt me. And we don't, we don't grow and go forward into different relationships without luggage. Right. And it's like, you have to be able to unpack those bags and you have to be able to look at everything and say, this is not yours to carry this is mine and I would apologize to him and I would say this is not about you this is about me and it's something that I'm working out because it's not you know it's not your fault and the longer you live and the more relationships you have that becomes really crucial like you said a minute ago Brittany that you're getting to know yourself Julia, same thing, you know, and the more you know about why certain things challenge you, you can begin to untie those knots and and put them away, like take things out of your emotional luggage and burn them in effigy if you want to. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're if we're speaking in metaphor, that's really how we become better people is we're not lugging around these huge suitcases full of unfulfilled promises, frustrations, unmet expectations, you know, and we do, we're knowing ourselves better in that process of unpacking all those things. Right. And and I think that's the hard part, you know, and I think it is, it's really hard. It's challenging. It is. And I think you speak and I think it's it's so self-aware of you to be able to, you know, be able to pinpoint that trigger yeah. whenever you saw it come up because yeah. I mean, I'm still trying to recognize my triggers because you just you just operate from a place of, of yeah, habit. Natural. Yeah, it's like it's like reflexive emotionally. Absolutely. That's, yeah, it's not a good way to be. And so I think maybe that came with experience an age mm-hmm. for you. And I, and I know it probably will for everybody, but it's something that through therapy, I've been able to understand and pinpoint a lot quicker and a lot sooner. You know, it's something as simple as, you know, being reactive in like the vehicle in your drive when you're driving in traffic, you know, getting mad at somebody. It's like, why am I, right. why is that making right. me mad? But it's that self-awareness piece. And I think therapy if you are not able to do that on your own, which I tried doing a lot of work on my own for about a year until I, I got a therapist and I was very lucky to find one that aligned with me so well, but it is, it's, it's those triggers and recognizing most that recognizing that most of the time our triggers come from childhood 
come from yeah. adolescence, come from prior yeah. relationships, and it's learning how to deal with that trigger, unpack it, and not project it onto the person that's in front of you that maybe Right. Otherwise, you spend your life walking around like Jesse James, right? It's like every day, it's the okay corral. You know, somebody's going to say something to you or look at you a certain way, and boom, you know? And yep. it's that that's that handicaps your future um, in terms of your own happiness. Right. Um, and I think therapy is, it's so scary, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. been on Julia's list and it was on mine for a long time. Ever. And, yeah. And even, you know, making, when I got a recommendation to a therapist, even making the phone call, I had very high anxiety, but it's that knowing that you're going to uncover and have to face yourself and mm-hmm. I, I say every week after therapy, this is why people don't do this. This is why people don't do this, you know, because you do <laughs> you learn yourself and you you see your faults and, you know, how you're projecting those in the world and all, all kinds of different things. But the work is, it's just so worth it. And it's been eye-opening to me. And one thing that I has been just a huge aha and light bulb moment for me that my therapist has has taught me is that our feelings don't come from other people. They come from ourselves. Exactly. And yeah. that to me, I, you know, because even in, in relationships and in confrontation and when you're, you know, through my breakup or through a divorce, like, you know, you're back and forth and you're justifying and you're defending your point and you're trying to get your point across because you think that by saying those things and the other person understanding and validating it, it's going to make you feel better, but it actually doesn't. Yeah. Those feelings aren't coming from the other person. They're coming from you. So it's trying to understand again, that trigger again, that feeling, where does that come from and how can I sit with that and, and process that myself to be okay? Because at the end of the day, nobody's can do that for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So all of that to say, I don't know, therapy has been completely life-changing for me. And I think in terms of relationships, it really, it helps you to develop a better sense of self. So that way you can be a better person to, I mean, not just in romantic partnerships, but familial and friends too. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I would observe as an almost 68 year old woman is that um, every thing in my own life that has happened to me, that has, that has hurt me, or disappointed me or frustrated me, I have experienced as a student in the school of life. I've experienced it as, okay, this happened for a reason. It's up to me to get the shovel out and dig down and find out what that reason was why did I land here? What am I supposed to learn from this? And so, you know, and maybe it's the era in which I grew up in terms of the evolution of people, but there was a lot of soul searching going on in my generation in California in the sixties and seventies. There was a lot of, um, you know, mind altering behaviors going on, a lot of meditation, a lot of communal living, like a lot of mushrooms, a lot of (laughs) mushrooms, a lot of, you know, just, you know, sitting naked by the river (laughs) and eating brown rice, you know, that was sort of my, my thing. And, 
so, you know, like, like the two of you, you know, getting your little BE tattoos on your ankles, being where your feet are, that was really the, the, the way that I lived growing up, you know, and the way that my peers and I rolled and um, every day was an opportunity to expand your mind and, and get more and more self-awareness. And um, you're right, you know, you, if you can't, if you can't understand your own motivations in any situation, whether it's a relationship that's a romantic relationship or it's a relationship at work that is troubled or challenging, if you can't understand your role in that and what you're bringing to that that makes it easier to fix or harder to resolve, then you can't really make progress as you go forward. You know, you have to, whatever package gets delivered to us on a given day, we have to open it. And sometimes it's a real booby prize. Sometimes it's a real bummer. And other times it's the crown that we deserve to wear. Right. And um, I just, uh, it's so exciting for me to watch the two of you from the distance at which I sit, I still feel like I'm part of the ride that you're both on. You know, I, I see the highs and lows from a distance and I, it, you know, it always makes me smile. And, and I hope that you both know that I'm always, I'm only a phone call away or a text message away if you need me ever. <laughs> Yes. I, I'm glad that you said that because I need you. <laughs> yeah. You totally have me, Brittany. You totally have me, darling. Anytime. Well, Anytime. you're you're just such a sounding board, Libby. And I just feel so lucky to know you. And I, I love that that you're in my life because I, I just I don't know, you're just so wise and the way that you deliver information and your perspective and all of it, your whole your vibes, your energy has just always been so calming. And like I said, you give really sound advice that always seems to hit where it needs to hit through whatever metaphor you have. So, and I mean, I think that's wonderful to know. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I I mean, I'm an old crone. I'm turning into an old gray witch. (laughs) You guys are the young, the young witches you're coming up and you know, my job is to just be around as you need me. Okay. We need you. I was just thinking it's, isn't it so interesting? Um, I was thinking what you said, how growing up people were doing a lot of soul searching and meditating. And I just find it so interesting that we're still doing that and self-development and meditation and still so relevant. And we're all still seeking that inner peace. Yeah. Yes. It's a, yeah. Has not changed. Yeah. Generations. We're still here. Yeah. We're still here. We're still here. And ayahuasca journeys are becoming like a thing now. They have oh, like sure. yeah. Malibu retreats. Yeah. Microdosing and mushrooms right. and 
Right. Bell bottoms, it's all coming back. Well, and you guys are, you have the opportunity to take mescaline in a clinical environment. I was never in a clinical environment when I was doing that. I was like out on the North Fork of the Uber River at Fillmore Auditorium watching, you know, Jefferson Starship. So, you know, my experience with all of that was quite different because it was all very new but now yeah now therapeutic environments you know they're bringing all kinds of wonderful and really really um important uh mind-altering stuff into the process so and to, fa- to facilitate the connection with the inner yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, however, however, you need to do that. I mean, some people, you know, you see um, Vietnam veterans, right, with PTSD. Those, you know, a lot of those people get huge benefit from just microdoses of psilocybin. Mm-hmm. You know, it just helps them. Yeah. Gives them a place of calm and a place of peace, you know. So, I mean, that's a whole different conversation that, that we could get into maybe at some other time. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, searching, searching is part of evolving. If you're not leaning forward in your life, then you can't evolve. You can't. Right. If you're just standing perpendicular to the ground, you might as well be in a pot. And someone can water you every week. You know, I mean, you've got to be moving forward. You've got to be leaning into those challenges. Right. And I think life is just a series of challenges. It's like running hurdles. Right. Yeah. Life is a challenge. And I think the, the curiosity and the journey, you know, to discovering ourselves and self-development and, you know, soul searching, as you say, is, kind of, I know for me, and I don't know if, if this was for Julia initially in her divorce, but I know it's, it's really what led me, you know, to, to my breakup. And I just was, I just was feeling like I was unfulfilled in where I was, but that was a lot had to, had to do with me. You know, I was for a lot of things within myself. And I think it wasn't until I, took a few steps back to realize that and started to search and, you know, do the therapy and do the self-development and all of the things to try and find that I was when I arrived at this place to, you know, I I couldn't pour from this half full cup and I couldn't focus on myself and my own well-being and my own mental health in the way that I wanted to in the relationship that I was in. And to kind of get to one of the questions from our Instagram about like ending a relationship to focus on a relationship with yourself, you know, it, it is super hard. And I, that was a struggle for me, you know, hurting somebody to focus on yourself to and, help somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To help right. yourself, you know, choosing yourself. Yeah. It sounds so crazy, but, and it is hard because you do feel so obligated and you do feel the pressure of those expectations, again, that other people have of you in a relationship. And right. I don't know, Julie, you can maybe speak to this a little bit more about how you felt, but that's definitely what was going through my mind when I went through it. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I I stayed longer in many relationships in my life for the fear of the expectations. And I like you, I got to a point where my own happiness was more important. And I knew 
how extraordinarily challenging it was going to be to exit my marriage emotionally because, you know, my partner didn't necessarily want to go the same direction that I was going. And so I had to be able to hold true to myself in a really strong way and say goodbye to a lot of really meaningful relationships. Um, Because when you lose one person, especially for me, I was married for four years, but with him for 10, you, you build more relationships than just that one, you know, your family becomes their family and their family becomes your family. And you have all these friends that you've been with for a long time. So you're not just losing one person. It felt like I was losing so many other people in my life. Um, however, I still knew that I wasn't fulfilled in a way I knew that I deserved to be. And I'm very dedicated and committed to living the most honest and happy life that I can live for myself. That is my goal. But through uncovering a lot of the trauma that I have, I'm finding it just a a very, um, what's the word? A very, um, just interesting experience. Life is painful. Yeah. It's, it's painful. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And then it's awful and then it's great. And then it's hard. So it's just, you know, I'm not by any means there yet, but I'm doing a lot of work and feel like I'm in a space in my life that years ago I dreamt of being. So I am moving in the direction that I know I want to be going and that's exciting, but fighting a lot of the societal expectations make it also challenging. Absolutely. I think we said in the last one, Britt, like being lonely is not the cool thing to do. Like it's it's not easy to be alone, but I'm trying to just be okay with it. Like be okay being alone. And don't be afraid to like it. And it's like that societal thing that you said. It's been my experience through my breakup has been interesting because it's almost unheard of for somebody to choose themselves and choose to work on themselves and go through therapy and unpack things. Everybody wants a reason. They want a story, you know, and so it's been a very interesting experience for people to not understand that I'm just doing this because I'm choosing myself. And it's like, that can't be the reason. Right. Right. It's it's been 10 years. She should be doing this or she should be doing that without having the context of, you know, my life story and the actual trauma that I've been suppressing for all of my adult life. And I'm finally making the choice to choose myself. It does not mean that I, wasn't in a loving relationship. It does not mean whatever you want to say about it. All it means is that I'm making a choice for my own mental health and my own well-being and what I think is important for me to move forward as a healthy, productive, um, connected adult human. person, human yeah. society, you know, but that's what's just so sad about these societal expectations around relationships. And especially I'm sure even worse when you're married is that everybody wants a story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason. Exactly. There has to be another reason other than self-development. And it's just, it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Stories. Mm. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I love to say is what other people think is none of your business. <laughs> because I got really, again, the, the stories we tell ourselves, I was in this spiral 
you know, going through my divorce where I'm like, well, what is this person going to think? And I wonder what everyone's saying. And I wonder if they're, they're probably, and it's like, no one, no one really. Yeah. That's cares. not your story. That's not my story. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's the hardest part because I think right. we do feel obligated to the families that we're so intertwined with and the friend circles that we're so intertwined with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that again, that need to defend and, but that's not who I am as a person. And this is why I'm doing it. And it's like, you get to a place where it's like, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think, think what you want. You know, I'm choosing myself for me and this is the path forward. And I think when, if there's, you know, anybody else out there that's struggling, obviously there is because we got this question on Instagram with ending a relationship to focus on yourself. I think that's the first step, you know, is just choosing yourself and blocking out the noise of everyone else. And I know it's obviously easier said than done, but I think the reward is. Well, it's also just going to close this circle, you know, be in reality, be in reality, be in reality. Don't be living in someone else's thought bubble. You know, don't be reactionary you know, be proactive for yourself. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're reacting to other people's thoughts and wishes and, you know, emotional demands or expectations of you. Day in reality, you know, is, you know, what I would say to people who struggle with that. You know, it's like I have a very good friend who, when she was diagnosed with cancer, you know, sat with me and she was white as a sheet. And she was like, well, this one's, what what am I going to tell this person? What am I going to tell that person? And I was like, you don't have to tell anybody anything. You know, you have to focus on your life. You have to focus on your fight. And, you know, getting to the next stage after a breakup is not easy. It's not painless, but it's worth it when you know that that's what you need to do, it's worth it. You know, it's like building a a new muscle, you know, it's painful. Yeah. I think (laughs) then once you get through it, you have this muscle, you have this really strong, solid ability to handle stress and understand crisis. And I think it's that hindsight piece too, or not like Mm -hmm. probably Julia, you can say that now. And you also Libby, since you both have, experienced divorce and you know I'm still very much going through my situation but it's like in hindsight you can kind of say you know I've healed in this way but when you're in the thick of it it's a little bit harder and I think maybe that's some value that we can give our listeners is how to heal or what do you think in hindsight are ways that helped you heal from severing ties with such an important partnership um Gosh, just knowing that things are always going to get better for me. I always, I've gone through a lot of pain in my life and none of it ever lasted forever. So I told myself going through my divorce, like it's going to get better. And I, I believe that to be true and I'm going to make it happen. So just staying in a really optimistic um, mindset of what I wanted to, what was my goal out of it? Like, what did I want? And just really focusing on that. Like what was where could I see myself? And it was a lot of 
visualization. I'm a big manifester. So I would visualize where I wanted to be and what that looked like and tried to really feel myself in it. Um, doing whatever kind of self-help you feel is necessary for you. For me, it was exercise. I was going through my divorce during the pandemic. So I was fortunate and I found a studio that I loved and I was exercising a lot. And for me, that was my form of meditating. Um, so if you meditate, I know meditation is such a powerful tool when you're going through really turbulent life experiences. Um, journaling, listening to podcasts. Um, yeah. I, I've been obsessively committed to my work. So I definitely also focused a lot on my job. So just focused really goes back to just focusing on, on myself as much as I was able. Um, and that's what I will continue to do. Even post my, my turbulence, I'll continue to do all those things. I think for me, um, I just knew based on the circumstances that presented themselves that my marriage had exhausted itself, if that makes any sense. You know, there there's a point at which in relationships you find yourself working really hard to keep the ball rolling. And at a certain point, when I say be in reality, for me, when the marriage fell apart, there was something almost um, liberating about it because I didn't have to keep trying so hard to keep it together. And what did you do through your divorce? You did a lot of artwork. Oh, well, I'm, I'm an artist. And so I'm working all the time in the studio. And But that was your way to also just... That was my therapy, your, yeah. you know, was uh, expressing myself through my work, spending time with my friends. I think you really, the rubber hits the road in crisis and you do find out who has your back and who's really there for you. And um, you have such a solid group of girls. I have a really solid group of women. We're all about the same age and we've all been through very challenging circumstances over the years. But, you know, I can call any one of them at any hour of the day or night and they would be there for me and vice versa. So I think it's important to um, tap those friendships as you need to. Um, if you need to have a good boohoo, you know, call one of your girlfriends, have a good boohoo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or if you have something that you really enjoy doing or something that you've promised yourself someday you would learn to do, Take the time to learn to do that thing. Take the time to put your energy towards something that will light you up, lights you up, that blows up your skirt. I think that's so crucial, you know, because if you're just sitting, if you're just sitting, like I said, if you're standing still, you're not going to be able to move forward. So you got to be. So, Britt, basically what we're saying is you're doing everything right. Everything right, Brittany. <laughs> You're so on track. My, You're surrounded my by amazing women. Yeah. You are yeah. pouring into your passion projects. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. living. Yeah. yeah. You're I growing. Think, yeah. I think you're you, working on yourself. Totally. I think you both hit the nail on the head. Um, yeah. Self care is huge. And I think, you know, physically, emotionally, and mentally, 
that has been something I've put at the forefront of my healing and, you know, on a micro level too, you know, just making sure I'm getting enough sleep and eating well and exercising is, is huge for me. Like it is for Julia. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, personal growth, like my passion project with this podcast and, you know, whatever other self podcast, you know, finding purpose and meaning outside of, of what, your life used to be, which for most people you get all encompassed by your relationships. So I think that's super important. And then I love that you mentioned, you know, leaning on your support system, because for me, that has been huge. And I'm so lucky that I have such solid friendships and that people have allowed me to just, you know, be where I'm at and allowed space for me to vent or you know, sleep at their house or whatever I needed. So right. I feel really right. lucky that I've, I have that support, support system, but I think on an even more personal micro level, one thing that I have been working at is practicing forgiveness in the yes. process, you know, letting go of resentments and, you know, regrets and just trying to find more compassion for myself. I think that is definitely a practice for me right now mm-hmm. and something mm-hmm. that I'm I'm working on and then just allowing myself to, to feel. Yeah. You know, we, it's great to pour into work and personal development and projects because those things are important, but also just not ignoring the feeling part of it too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What's the, um, the coach that was a very famous, Britt, you might know his name. He was a very famous college basketball coach and he died of cancer. So, Jimmy V. Mm. And he said to have like the most full day you can have, you have to laugh and you have to cry and you have to like have courage. And like crying is a piece for me that I feel very connected to. I'm a very emotional person. But for me, that's such a way that I release a lot of my emotion is through crying. So yeah, I'm I'm doing a lot of crying these days. Yes. Yeah. To release in like a healthy way. It's not to feel bad or sad. It's like, it's, it's a healthy no, way for me yeah. to yeah. continue to release to your point, like all the forgiveness that I want to give to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, not- emotions are a pressure cooker. You do have to occasionally leak. You have to, yeah, you have you to have let to it cry. Out. Like I said, I've had good boohoo's with my girls over the years. You know, when we've been sad or hurt or you know feeling raw, it's a nice thing to be able to lay into the arms of a bestie and just kind of let it all hang out. You know, it's really um- important. If you can, and I mean, even if you can, even if you can cry by yourself, and I think for me, I'm really trying to lean into that. And Julia knows this mm-hmm. about me is you know, I've I've had this coping mechanism of suppressing and not showing emotion, or just like my therapist says, I have a way of generalizing things in a soft way. And right, right, right. I it's it's a lack of vulnerability is what it is, and so I've been just trying to lean into that more and the growth that I've seen just for myself and mentally and the release, like you're saying has been incredible. That's and so, awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to just feel those feels. And I sometimes for some people, you know, depending on what you've been through, it's, it's breaking those walls down for yourself. Yeah. Right. right, right. Let yourself be vulnerable to your own feelings. It's, mm-hmm. 
hard. <laughs> but, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the healing, the, the healing is, is the journey that that piece is, is ever evolving. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think this has been so incredibly valuable and Libby, I just am so thankful that you spent a piece of your weekend with Julia to for us and share your wisdom with everybody who listens. I know it's going to be so powerful and people are going to love it. And like I've already said before, I, I appreciate you and, and I'm so thankful that you are in my life and that I can learn from you and that you're so willing and open and honest. Oh, well, you know, Brittany and Julia, that I wouldn't have been anywhere else this weekend. I've been exactly where I'm meant to be and just thrilled to spend time with the both of you together because we so seldom get to have these kinds of chats, the three of us. We did more of this when you all were in college. We did a lot of this kind of, you know, getting our heads together and trying to solve the world's problems. But now it's wonderful. And I really am grateful that you thought to include me in this process that you you two have taken up. And uh, anytime, anytime you need me, got my number. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you for the encouraging us and obviously mm-hmm. paving the way and, and being a light in our lives. We both love you so much. And Julia, would you love to do the honors with your mom and close it out? Yeah. So at the end of every podcast, we ask the question, um, where are you finding your joy? Right here, right now. Where are you right with here right now? With my daughter. And her best friend, you know, I get great joy from being able to participate in your lives to whatever degree I can. That's my joy. Paying it forward, if you will. Yes. I love that. Being where your feet are. Be where Mm -hmm. your feet are. Britt, where are you finding your joy? Where am I finding my joy? Gosh, I feel so unprepared for this question this week, but it's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. It's 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 the why we ask the question so that we yeah. can, you know, we can. find that gratitude. I think I'm just finding my joy in in learning about myself and being open. And I think the more that I learn about myself, the more aligned I feel and that has been my word for 2023 is alignment. And I, I've been working really hard towards that and just trying to keep it top of mind in, in everything that I do. And the more that I pursue that and the more that I lean into that, the more open I feel and I, and the more reward I'm getting in terms of relationships or, you know, the universe just presenting opportunity to me. And I, I'm just finding a lot of joy in the awareness of watching that unfold. So that's where I'm at. Really good. Yeah. That was a prepared answer. (laughs) (laughs) It was not, which I guess, (laughs) I guess is even better. (laughs) Yeah. That was good. All right, Jay, where are you finding your joy? Oh my gosh. I'm finding my joy nesting in my home. I found a home to live in Pacific Grove. And so it's just so it's the last week has been really wonderful getting into my space and starting to make it mine and furniture has been arriving and 
uh, it's just been really nice. I've never lived out of a suitcase in the way I had, you know, starting a new job and living out of a suitcase and being in a new space. It's just a lot of, um, it's just too much, too much at once for me, for my, my nervous system. So having a space that I have, or that I'm calling home is my, my big joy right now. Yes. You're settled and can, and can relax a little. Yeah. This is going to be a huge, um, shift in my well-being just overall. Uh, so I'm super excited about it and that's it. Awesome. That's it. I'm so happy for you and ladies. I love you both so much. Just like it was incredible. And like Libby said, we don't get to do this very often and I hope we get to do it again in person soon because I miss you. Love you too, Brittany. Yes. Sending you both all the virtual hugs and all the things. And yeah, until next time we until next time. Yes. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye guys. Bye.